0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Christy Buile on how understanding the literary styles in Scripture transforms Bible study.
1: In terms of the main genres that we find in Scripture, I believe that God is very intentional about how He inspired men to to organize the books of the Bible and that they help to not only tell that big story, but they also help us to learn how to observe, interpret, and apply God's Word.
0: Christy Onyabwile, next. Christy Onyabwile says scripture is an epic story God has revealed through a variety of genres like poetry, prophecy, wisdom, and more. In her new book, Literarily, Christy shows the value of studying the Bible according to the literary style presented in a particular chapter or passage. Today, she'll offer some help to those who want to read the Bible as it's written, as a collection of different ways of writing, all telling one marvelous story. Here's Kimberly Burchill to get the details from author and pastor's wife, Christy Anyabwili.
2: Christy, it's good to have you back. And as we get started talking about literarily, I'm wondering if you would just give us a look at your personal journey studying the Bible and how you got to this point of this book. Yeah, my journey with um, studying the Bible, I'm pretty sure is
1: similar to a lot of folk. Um, uh, When I became a Christian, I was like, "Hmm, I guess I better figure out what, that, what it means to live like a Christian. So my husband and I went to a Christian bookstore and we just started grabbing books that caught our attention that, you know, are like, hey, this sounds like something that will help me learn what it means to live as a Christian. Uh, so we grabbed a few books. We grabbed a big Vines concordance, the big, thick, white and green <laughs> concordance that uh, is so old school now. I'm sure every pro- you know people kind of have online versions of a concordance. Um, but yeah, just looking up words in the Bible, what does this mean? And you know, looking into Bible dictionaries and things like that. Um, my husband and I, we studied. I wouldn't say we studied a lot together, but we asked questions a lot together. Um, So, you know, we had our private, um, our individual devotional times, but because we kind of, we became Christians at the same time, we were kind of running across similar questions and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out those answers. Uh, So that's kind of how my Bible study journey started. And then within a short period of time, I'd say probably a couple of years, um, maybe not that long, a younger lady in the church started. asked me if I would disciple her, if I would mentor her. And I freaked out because I had no idea what that meant. And I felt very ill-equipped and uh, just terrified at the thought that someone would ask me to share any knowledge about God's word with them because I didn't really feel like I had that much to offer. And so, um, you know, I asked her some questions. We talked about what that would look like. And we started meeting over my dinner prep time, and she said, "Hey, I'll just come over to your house, and uh, I can ask you questions while you prepare dinner, and I mean, I can help you prepare dinner, that sort of thing." And that's what we did. And I said, "You know what? That's fine, as long as if you, as long as we can agree that if you ask me questions that I don't have the answer for, it's okay for me to say I don't know, and I will have to." look it up and get back to you next week, or we can research together and get back the next week. And she said, cool. I said, cool. And there it went. Uh, so from then it was just a journey of. Really growing in that space of what it means for me to, uh, live as a Christian, to understand God's word for myself and then to find ways to communicate what i what I believe the Lord is teaching me, how to communicate that to someone else. So, there's a whole lot more to the story, but sure. in terms of how that journey started, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much how it started. Just that passion of wanting to really know God, God's word better, and to feel equipped in understanding it, and then a growing passion, again, for communicating that to others. Sure.
2: And what a... Um Blessed young woman she was to uh, to m- just to meet up with you and what a, what a special time that would have been and I'm sure she's not the only one since then she was just the first that God exactly. had you disciple <laughs> yeah. but that's but wonderful so we
1: were both blessed as a matter of fact she probably had more Christian experience than I did um, though she was much younger uh, she was newly married I was newly a mom. Uh, but the age difference was fairly significant uh, but she had been in campus parachurch ministry for quite a while and I felt like I was just figuring things out so I think what made that relationship really beautiful was that we could learn from one another mm-hmm. and then it taught me kind of um, it taught me what discipleship could look like and I like to think about discipleship in the way that, uh, Susan Hunt describes it in her book, Spiritual Mothering, where she talks about um, spiritual mothering or discipleship or mentoring, whatever you want to call it, is when a woman of faith and spiritual maturity invests in another woman to help her um, grow and in, um, in, glorifying God through her life. Uh, So I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it is. And so uh, that relationship was really significant for me as well, because it taught me that discipleship isn't top down. It's very much a mutual kind of experience
2: Mm.
1: um, between Christians.
2: Yes. How can we deepen our understanding of what God intends to communicate through His Word by learning to study the Bible according to its literary genres?
1: To continue the story, <laughs> as I you know, began to grow in my understanding of God's Word, um, really just listening to other people, following other people, um, grabbing Bible studies and books and different things like that, um, I... You know, felt like I um, was understanding things about the Lord, but I didn't have a clear view of the big picture. Okay. And so a couple of things fell in place for me. One was very significant, which I did not know for many years. And as a matter of fact, I was talking to a group, uh, a church group, a couple nights ago, and the majority of the folks on the call echoed a similar experience that they didn't understand until years into their Christian experience that the Bible was one story about one person. So I didn't start my Christian journey understanding the meta-narrative of of scripture and how every genre, book, chapter, passage uh, intentionally relates to Jesus in some um, intentional, important, significant way. Mm-hmm. And so that fell in place first. And I was This changes everything. Now when I read Leviticus, I'm not like, what is up with all the blood and animals and offerings and these kinds of things or, uh, and it started making sense to me. Oh, they're showing me pictures, you know, images, pointers that help to show me, anticipate Jesus in some way in the Mm -hmm. old Testament, for example, or to show me Jesus and what it looks like to live for him in the church, in the New Testament, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So first, the big picture of the Bible. And then once that was in place, uh, as I was reading my Bible and going through, you know, Genesis through Revelation, front to back, uh, I uh, started using sort of an inductive Bible study approach in my study of God's Word. So Mm -hmm. I learned that somewhere along the way in the beginning. That's great. But as I continued to use the basic model of inductive Bible study, observe the text. What does it say? Interpret the text. What does it mean? Apply the text. What does it mean to me? For example, using that kind of framework. um, In the beginning, it was great. But after a while, Uh, you know, I would come away from my time in God's word with a lot of questions that that inductive approach didn't quite address. And so it wasn't until I understood that the genre in which I'm studying makes a difference in how I observe and what I observe about the text. It makes a difference into how I come to understand um, what God means from what he says in the word and even how I apply it, you know, how I apply it to my life today. Mm-hmm. So I just have a strong belief that, um, that once you understand that the genres of the Bible, when I say genre, I mean, the categories that the Bible is divided up in. So genre is just category, just like genres of music. You have jazz, gospel, classical, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Bible is the same way, but we call it law. The first five books of the Bible um, Old Testament history or Old Testament narrative, which is the next set of books in the Bible, from Judges to like Esther, uh, mm-hmm. and then you have the wisdom and poetic literature, like Job and Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and then you have the prophetic books that uh, go from like I, from Isaiah to Malachi, and then in the New Testament, the um, you have the Uh, the Gospels and Acts as a genre. Um, It is narrative, but they focus primarily on the the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And then you have the epistles in the New Testament, um, and then you have apocalyptic literature. That would be the book of Revelation and then part of the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those are the primary genres Uh, that we find in the Bible. And then there are lots of sub-genres, which we don't have time to go into. But in terms of the main genres that we find in scripture, I believe that God is very intentional about how he um, inspired men to to organize the books of the Bible and that they help to not only tell that big story, but they also help us to learn how to... um, observe, interpret, and apply God's Word. So, just as an example, uh, one thing that really helped me was, for example, I know a lot of people who are listening right now have probably had the experience of reading something in the Bible, and you're like, huh, am I speaking that literally? Like, how do I understand this particular passage? when it's When the Bible says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Is that a promise that I can hold on to? Is that, um, what is that? Is God giving me a direct command and saying, if you do these things, out comes this result? Mm-hmm. How do I understand that? When the Bible talks about tattoos, does that really mean that women sin because I have a tattoo? But then it also says men shouldn't cut their beards, and there's tons of Christian Christian men who um, have cut their beards. So how do I understand? So these are the kinds of questions that would come to mind. But once I understood that a hey, proverbs "Train up a child" passage is proverbial wisdom, and the function of proverbs is to teach us how to live wisely under God's instructions, so it's not really a plug and play you do this, out comes that. It's more of, hey, this is wise for you as a parent to train up a child in the way that he should go. And wisdom says, as you do that, generally, right? um, Generally speaking, you know, this is what the response should look like from that kind of instruction. Um, It's not a promise. God ain't saying, if you raise your child this way, you know, your child is definitely not gonna ever stray from the Lord, but it's proverbial wisdom. It's teaching us how to live wisely. Likewise, you read a passage like, um, hey, don't make any cuts on your body, tattoos on your body. Is God saying, how do we apply that today? Well, what is the message of the book of Leviticus, for example? What is the overall message in in the law genre? Well, the law genre is meant to teach us um, what God's instructions actually are, what he expects of his people and what he expects of his people, particularly in the book of Leviticus and particularly in the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, God wants his people to be holy. And so, you know, it would take a lot more time for us sure. to go you know, go through the elements of, um, in interpreting the passages in the law. But basically when you read a passage like, uh, you know, don't make any cuts on your body. It's not so much about the act. It's about, are you set apart? Are you looking like a person who is distinctly consecrated, set apart, holy unto the Lord? So the main message is be holy. Do things that uh, example holiness in your life so that the nations around will know that you belong to God. And in that particular context, something like, on your body would not mark you out as someone who was distinctly Christian, but it would mark you out as someone connected to maybe the pagan culture around, you know, so that just really changed how I looked at passages of scripture and how I studied them, because I could pay attention to the genre to know what kinds of things I should observe, how to interpret it, or how the original readers would have interpreted it, and then how to uh, kind of contextualize it and, and apply it today
2: i want to jump back to something that you said early on just in case um, our listeners missed it and also ask you to just describe that a little bit more so for the person who doesn't understand what the meta narrative of the bible is give us an understanding a little a quick little understanding of what that is
1: Y'all can't see me right now, but I'm dancing because I love this question. (laughs) Uh, And it really is the crux to me of why kind of rooting your study in the literature, the literary genre of scripture is so amazingly helpful. Let me back it up a little bit and start over. If you open up your Bible to the table of contents, we're just going to start there, right? Um, The Bible itself. The Bible is one story and the Bible itself in the way that it is organized kind of helps us to see that story. And so if you look at the law books, the first five books of the Bible, those are the books that uh, teach us what what God expects of his people, as I said before, um, what his instructions are. So you see that in Genesis, he, he created a people and he created them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then over and over again, as you walk through the books of the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you will see God in in to both the first generation of Israelites and then the next generation who are going in in the book of Deuteronomy saying over and over to them, you are mine. You are my treasured possession. You are my people. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell with you. You will dwell with me. I am your God who is holy, and I'm calling you to be holy as well. And so I'm giving you these instructions. This is what I expect of my people. You live in these ways. You don't live in these ways. Okay. So the law books, what God expects, his instructions. Then you have the Old Testament narratives. The Old Testament narratives are teaching us um, what, it, how God's people responded to his instructions. So if he gave his instructions, his law in the first five books, then in the narratives, you see God's people responding. How did they live under God's instructions? And we all know how they lived. They lived wildly. They did not (laughs) fully obey God and live in the way that he had called them to, he had instructed them to. Um, And so you see that lived human experience. Then you have uh, the wisdom books. The wisdom books would be like Job, Uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and these books are telling us, okay, this is how you live wisely under God's instructions. Okay, y'all didn't do so great. That's what the Old Testament narratives are telling us. And then the wisdom books are saying, okay, Job, this is how you live wisely in the midst of suffering, right? Um, Song of Solomon, hey, this is how you live wisely in romantic relationships, Okay, Ecclesiastes, hey, this is how you live wisely in the world. And so the, the the wisdom books are kind of drawing us back to center, saying, Hey, you need to live in these ways, not in the ways that you have been living. Then we have the Psalms, which are the poetic, which is a poetic book. Uh, and the Psalms, the wisdom, literature, even the prophets are mostly poetic in nature, in the terms of they're written in the style of Hebrew poetry. But the functions are very different. So in the Psalms, the function is if the wisdom books are telling us how to live wisely under God's instructions, then the, the poetry is showing us God's law, his instructions set to music and, litur- and liturgy and prayers and songs and poetry. So God is just in so many different ways reiterating his law, his instructions, his expectations, and And it's almost like looking at facets of a diamond to draw his people back to center, back to what he, how he expects them to live. Then we have the prophetic books and the prophetic books are reminding God's people. This is what God said. If you live in these ways, there's blessing. If you do not live in the ways that God has called you to, then there are going to be consequences and they're going to be devastating, not only for you as an individual, but for the entire nation of the people of God. And so the prophets, God is speaking directly to them saying, hey, this is what I want you to tell my people because they're wilding out. Make sure you remind them of what I said. So read through the prophets and you will notice that most of all of them refer back in some way to the law books they quote the law a lot they go back to deuteronomy and genesis and exodus remember our forefathers remember what god did mm-hmm. how he delivered them how he saved them etc so the prophets are reminding god's people of his instructions and and calling them to to live um to live obediently and experience blessing Um, Otherwise, they're also really lifting up highly the consequences of not living under God's instructions. Then we have the New Testament. And this is where the story gets really good because the New Testament opens with the gospels and it's God's law, his instructions, his expectations personified. God said, listen, They're not getting it. And so God came down in human flesh and embodied his expectations for his people. So they not only would have the word of the prophets, the wisdom, the the poems and liturgies and prayers, but they would have a live human example of someone who lived perfectly under God's law, under his rule, under his expectations. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one who obeyed God fully and perfectly and the one who accepted the punishment that was due to all of humanity for our sins. And so now we have God's law embodied in the person of Jesus. And then so as you move into the epistles now, we see God's instructions of, uh, we see uh, the church being um, instructed in how to live wisely as a new people of God under his rule, under the rule of Christ, under the rule of grace and faith in Jesus. And then the apocalyptic literature is like, hey, this is the end. <laughs> when uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ returns, when, when the end of History comes; it actually ushers in what God had intended all along. And so, in the the apocalyptic literature, it's just uh, a fancy word of eschatology, kind of a mm-hmm. study of the end times. And people are kind of scared of the of revelation and uh, some of the apocalyptic literature. But the beauty of apocalyptic literature is it's showing us that one day God's people will live fully obedient unto the Lord because of our faith in Jesus Christ and we will be the people that God had called us to be from the very beginning. And so that's that the end of history is actually the beginning of forever living under God's instructions as He had always intended for us to live. And so if you look at the genres, you see the story of scripture, the meta narrative of the Bible played out even in how the Bible itself is laid out.
2: I'm speaking with Christy Anyabwili, author of the book, Literarily, How Understanding the Bible Genres Transforms Bible Study. Christy is a pastor's wife, mother, author, and instructor for women Bible teachers through the Charles Simeon Trust. Christy, not only are there the genres, as you mentioned. but within each genre, there are three main types of writing. Can you quickly tell me what those types are? Yes. Um so remember I was
1: saying before, as an example, when you get to um, the wisdom, literature, poetry, and even the prophets, they even though their genres are different, meaning their their literary function is different, They're all poetry, and so you study poetry the same the same way, Um, and and so uh, throughout the Bible you will see. So some people will read Genesis and they're like, "Well, use Old Testament." So for example, Old Testament narrative, Old Testament history are primarily stories, but they're history. So it's not like made up stories. They're they're historical accounts told in story form uh, to help us and understand, you know, the workings of God people um, to God's instructions. And so, but you find narrative texts in the law and many other parts of, in the prophets and other parts of the Bible. Uh, So people kind of get a little tripped up thinking, if you say poetry, then I'm only gonna find that in Psalms, that's not the case. Or if you say Old Testament narrative, I'm only gonna find that in the historical books and that's not the case. So the three types of text that you generally find in the Bible that flow through every genre uh, would be stories, those are your narratives, would be poetry and also discourse or speeches. Okay, so you will find, so um, stories, everyone knows what a story is. <laughs> there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. There's some conflict, there's some climactic moment, there's some kind of revolution that brings a story to a close. Uh, we think about stories in, in the form of a plot. And, um, and I think a lot of people are familiar with that. So when I'm studying uh, passages of the Bible that contain stories, I want to think about it in those terms how does the plot play out in this particular passage? And what is this uh, story emphasizing that would help me to under, understand what God wants to communicate there? The second text type would be poetry. And again, it's Hebrew poetry. So it's not rhyme in the way, you know, that mm-hmm. people generally think of poetry in a, you know, Western context, Hebrew poetry consists of parallel lines that match in some way. So they're parallel lines that can be in sets of twos or threes or fours. And those parallel lines um, either echo the same content. So it's saying the same thing, but in different words, or give you a different word picture, but saying Mm -hmm. the same thing. Or it could be that they could be contrasting one another, the parallel lines or the parallel lines could be extending the thought of a previous point. Uh, And so when you're reading the text type of poetry, you want to read it keeping in mind these parallel lines and how they work together to show us shifts in imagery and word pictures that move the poem forward. And then finally, you have the text type of discourse, we call it, basically speeches Dialogue, things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament, or uh, Moses' speeches Mm -hmm. in the book of Exodus. So, discourse is just that. And the way that you want to think about speeches or discourse is that the author is making an argument and is driving that speech or that discourse in a way that helps to. put a point on the main argument, the claim that they are making. Uh, You see that a lot in Paul's letters in Romans. He's a master at argumentation and a discipline called rhetoric. And so it's really easy to see. It's fun to see, I would say. It's fun to see how Paul makes arguments in the books that he writes. So those are the three text types and a little bit about what you want to look for um, within those text types. So the genre is key. It's saying, okay, narratives tell me how God's people respond to his instructions, this particular person isn't responding so well. (laughs) And so what is this teaching me? And how do I see Jesus being anticipated or um, the burden for the need of Christ in this particular passage? So I would just start in those places, work with a partner, trust the Holy Spirit, and Mm -hmm. um, get the book and hopefully it'll be a help to you.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Christy Anyabwile, author of Literarily, How Understanding Bible Genres Transforms Bible Study. Christy is a women's Bible teacher and a pastor's wife. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Heather Holloman with thoughtful insights on engaging in more vibrant and loving conversations.
2: It's such a delight. You're going to love it. People are going to want to talk to you and you're going to find your happiness is increasing, and your transition to spiritual conversations will just be so smooth. That's
0: tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.